I'm Betches co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Rise and shine, fever dreamers. Look alive, my friends. I'm B Spear. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And this is American Fever Dream, a new podcast presented by Betches News. Where we keep you responsibly informed without depleting your faith in humanity. We're back. We're back for our third episode. Again, thank you for the incredible feedback, the reviews, the subscribing. It really helps. It helps a ton. It makes us happy. It made me have a happy weekend. How was your weekend, V? It was good. It wasn't really my weekend that I was having that was so great. It was the day before the weekend when I got to fly to the great state of Michigan, to the beautiful city of Grand Rapids, to meet with the vice president for eight minutes where she revealed to me how to make the best roast chicken. What a scoop. <laughs> we talked about a lot of other she stuff too. She got a too, scoop. I did. I got a scoop uh, and I got a recipe, which is always good for me. You know what I mean? And and we're going to have that vice president interview at the end. But for all my ADHDers out there, I'm not going to make you wait on the recipe for the chicken so that you can get this out of your mind. And then focus on the rest of the episode. So basically, she said you need to prepare it a day ahead of time by rubbing a mixture of lemon, mm. chopped herbs, minced garlic, salt and pepper under the skin. Then you salt and pepper the whole bird and lather it with butter, tie it up in a compact little truss. And here was the secret. You let it sit in the fridge for 24 hours. That does something to the skin, makes it beautiful. Then you slow roast on 325 for a few hours, depending on the size of the bird the next day. Now, I have made this chicken, and I'm telling you, like, I know we all think roast chicken is the easy thing. It really does come out very good when you do it like this. I've always been far too intimidated by roast chicken. And V, as we know, you do have a background in the restaurant hospitality industry. So the fact that you endorse, you endorse Kamala Harris's recipe for chicken is it's a big endorsement. It, 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 it for sure is. I mean, I should she get a James Beard Award? I don't know. Do we have one for uh, politicians who cook? We There's should. a lot of talk about her next iteration. And you know what? I think maybe maybe culinary cul culinary genius contributor may be part of it. She could do a little cookbook. Why not? Obama's got a production company. He's making movies. She could certainly be making food TV. Absolutely. All right, so stick around for V's incredible interview with the Vice President of the United States. That will be at the end of today's episode. We will move into Temp Check. Quickly wanted to start Temperature Check with a, a message from your host, from me specifically. Um, I have some news to share. You know, as I've had the pleasure of building out the plans for this incredible podcast with V and with Betches, which it really is an incredible podcast. You know, I've had to check in with myself about how covering politics during another election year has impacted me personally from an emotional health point of view, from a mental health point of view. I know V can really understand this. And what I can't really ignore anymore is that it has. And, you know, despite the support that I have from my colleagues and my friends and my family, and I have a lot, it really does, you know, take its toll regardless of that. There is no secret 
that this subject matter is is exhausting. It's tiring. V, I'm sure people tell you like they tell me all the time. I, I don't know how you do it. Uh, for me, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, candidly, I have also struggled with being a public person. And so after a lot of thought and consideration, I know the best choice for me right now is to step away and to take a breather and pursue some new opportunities. That means that next week will be my last hosting this podcast with V as I step away from Betches. The wonderful news is that Sammy will be taking over as the co-host. And I am so grateful for V and my team's support through this transition. It hasn't been easy. Everyone's been incredible. And I know V, you, and Sammy are going to be amazing hosts. I cannot wait to be a part of this podcast as a listener. You two are a dream team. Sammy's going to be back at this mic in a, pam- a panel format. And I know a lot of our listeners have been eager for that. So it is, it is an exciting move forward. That's really what I want to convey. And I just want to say thank you so much, Amanda, for everything you've done to make this show what it is. When I found out that you were going to be leaving the show, first, heartbroken. Second, very relieved because our friendship will not struggle at all. Girl is still a part of the group chat. Um, And I'm very proud of you for coming forward and being honest about what you need. And the first thing I said to Sammy was, Amanda is not a person who makes short-term decisions on a whim. This is a person who would have to have put an awful lot of thought and heart into this. And I know what a sacrifice it is for you to step away from the show that you care so much about. And I'm just so grateful for the time that we've had and we'll continue to have as friends outside of here. But if the listeners take anything away from this other than you need to check in with yourself and you need to prioritize your mental health, it's that it's okay to do that. And the people who love you and trust you and care about you will be there for you the whole way through. Um, And if you ever want to come back as a guest, you know, where we are. Totally, totally. The door is open. Um, this is just me me taking a breather. And you know what? I might I might get bored real fast. We'll we'll see. But for the time being, that's that's the announcement for now. Thank you so much for the support, V, and from Sammy. And uh, next week will be the last episode with me. Not of, of the podcast, of course. The podcast is just getting going, and we will do a fun little handoff with Sammy in the episode next week. Now we will get to the newsier part of our temp check. So today we're taking the temperature on late stage capitalism. You truly can't (laughs) live with it. You can't live without it. No American fever dream is complete without it. So should we go through some we've we've observed we've observed, you know, a couple prominent symptoms of this lately. This week was a doozy, girl. I mean, when we were putting together this episode, guys, we had so much content. We had to take a full meeting to try and cut down what we were going to talk about because there was just there were too many symptoms. Let's. This dive is in. when it's fun, though. This is when it is fun. Honestly, is when there's like a lot. Oh, I mean, yeah. obviously, not all the subject matter is fun, but when there's a lot, a lot of to dig into. All right, the first thing V and I share a concern, and that concern is the like willful suppression of news on social media. Mm-hmm. We talked um, in our first episode, of course, about Meta telling us that we're no longer going to recommend news. And last week, if you use Google, you might have noticed that the top bar where you can select categories, they they tested out removing the news filter. So currently, if you search for something in Google, you can select from that bar and it will surface specifically recent news stories about the topic. I don't know about with your work, V, but I find this so useful, especially since Twitter kind of went downhill. I used to love Twitter for news. They curated a great news section. Ever since that went away, I found myself really leaning on the Google News. It helped surface like genu- it helped surface genuine news coverage. A lot of times, like if you search a can- a name and that person happens to be running for office, you're gonna get like six results that are sponsored by their campaign, their pack. It's really hard. So Google tested removing that. They said they had no plans to remove it after a lot of people were like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But I think 
I don't know why even try this. Like, what is this responsive to? It, it mirrors what Meta's doing. And, you know, I've talked to individuals who who say, you know, yeah, I try to manage my my news exposure on social media. But but to my knowledge, there is not this like ravenous appetite among users to never see a headline again. So what is behind this? It it's of great concern to me as well because I use the news tab to see if something that I heard is recent and relevant also. So sometimes, you know, a story will resurface on social media or something and I'll be like, is that even from right now or is somebody just remembering something from years ago? And I'll go to Google, I'll type it in and then I'll hit news tab because I'm intentionally, they've already got it segregated out. Like I'm intentionally looking for news and it'll say, oh, headline from 2014. I'm like, okay, and there's been nothing since then. This is just a recirculated um, story. And I think it's really helpful for that. It's also, to your point, really helpful to get news about a topic and not get all the sponsored content up front. So I can't imagine why folks are doing this other than to try and make it more difficult for people to find the things they're looking for so that they have to spend more time on the app. I know in the TikTok world, the length of time we keep people on the app is rewarded. So like I have a really high finish rate on my videos. So they end up on the FYP page a lot of time because they know when people see my face, they will stay on for longer to hear the whole video. Is Google pulling this this easy access reference tab in, in many ways to keep you on their page for longer so you see more ads? Like I, I, I cannot imagine how this is a benefit. If they're not, they should hire you to consult. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just sort of like forget about the news tab. Again, I use it a lot, but like we move fast, me and yeah. V. Like you're, you're news creators. We're moving fast, but we want to move responsibly. So sometimes I'll sort of forget and then I'll be like digging through the random results. I'm like, oh shit, the news tab. And it immediately right. surfaces what I need. So again, they got a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the news industry were like, what's going on here? They said, they, they say they have no plans to take it away. But like V said, I mean, I think a lot of the platforms that people have come to rely on for news do not have an incentive to surface and platform news. And that's put us in a really tricky situation. I agree. And then they complain that people get their news on TikTok or Instagram or from right. memes. And right. it's like, well, that's that's who's doing it. You know what I mean? Like you come to under the desk, you're going to have three or four news stories a day. You go to Betch's news feed, you're going to get a bunch of infographics and news stories. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in many ways the only way sometimes to search what's most relevant and what's happening up to date. And I don't think that that's a good idea. I definitely don't Great. think that we should be replacing trad media with just memes and TikToks, but it, it seems to be what's happening more and more. And that is going to cloud uh, the collective conscious for so many people. And I just don't get it. I just don't right, get why we yeah. want that. It's so true. It's like the people that cover news on social media I think sometimes there's a framing where it's like, we're complicit in the degradation of journalism. And it's like, bro, I wish if I had enough money to save local news, I would. We're yeah. working in the world that we have. We simply know that there's a lot of bad information about the news on social media and somebody needs to provide a corrective, especially when, you know, our audience members might be searching in the Google News filter and they find they're the ones being tested on. So there is a... Um, yeah, that's that's it's not the ideal situation that we're in, but it's the one that we are in. And there are compassionate, informed and responsible people on social media like V and, and my team that are making sure it happens. Well, at least Yahoo News isn't taking away the news tab. Maybe we're going to go all the way back to AOL News at some point. They'll be like, we've been here. We haven't changed a damn thing since 1998. That Welcome so back. True. You know, Yahoo has been paying for its associated press subscription this whole time. And I love them for it. I mean, I use the Yahoo News tab, too, because they oftentimes can get you an article that's been paywalled because they somehow like reprint it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not advocating for like going. You should pay for subscriptions and I pay for plenty of them. But sometimes you want one little article from... 
I don't know, the Wall Street Journal and you don't want to give Rupert Murdoch your eight bucks a month. Exactly. All right. Next in our kind of uh, our review of symptoms for our American fever dream featuring late stage capitalism, (laughs) there is a new Kellogg's ad promoting cereal as a good dinner choice. And this comes as consumers continue to face high prices for nourishing food at the grocery store. Now, cereal for dinner? Fine. That's fine. You want to do that? You're listen, I've had plenty. That's to me, that's depressed dinner. It's <laughs> I got the girl maybe dinner. I, girl <laughs> dinner. Right, exactly. But it's interesting because they interviewed CNBC interviewed the Kellogg CEO. And this CEO specifically told the network that the idea of mar- the marketing campaign was to promote cereal as an affordable dinner option. So I think the sort of like the feverish part of this to me is just that like we're all okay with this. We've just accepted the premise that people do not have enough money to have protein and vegetables for dinner on a consistent basis. And therefore, these conglomerates are taking advantage of that and they're trying to make it sort of like amusing and help you commiserate and say cereal for dinner. And I don't know what I expect them to do, but it does feel like a symptom we should not ignore. Listen, millennial girlies out there, how many of us were already once in our life tricked by the Kellogg's company to eat Special K twice a day for a balanced diet and to lose weight, okay? I was a Special K girly forever, and I will not be lied to again by this company. It is not a meal replacement. I love cereal for dinner just as much as the next girly, but I think the disconnection between the CEO recognizing the trend of people buying more Mm -hmm. cereal and trying to spin it into a good thing as opposed to realizing that Kellogg's profits are off the charts and people's salaries are stagnant and just simply can't afford food food, like, like to your point, meat and vegetables, fresh foods, um, I think is atrocious. And it's, it's, it's again, I will not be tricked by the Kellogg's company. A breakfast cereal that was started to stop people from masturbating, then gave them eating disorders, now is replacing meat and vegetables. Not on my watch, Mr. Kellogg. Not on my watch. And it's not just the cereal. I was watching a couple TikToks, you know, as I do. And it seems like struggle meals, they're trying to like bougie struggle meals. And yes. I will not stand for this. We cannot have people making struggle meals fancy and expensive. They are struggle meals for a reason and we need them to stay affordable. I cannot see designer uh, saltines with butter. I cannot see tinned fish. Baby, those are sardines and those are, fr- I like those because I grew up poor. So like, I'm very used to certain things. But They're like, delicious. They're great, easy protein. But like you're right. Great. Now people are selling them for $20. Their, their signature was that they were affordable. I don't want to see them in Italy. I don't want to see them for $20. Irwan <laughs> does not need to have tinned fish, okay, or Spam. Spam is back, which is also delicious, but now they're trying to make designer Spam. But the thing that I saw that I was like, oh, we have reached a moment, was the jacket potato trend. Have you seen this? I have. And I thought that it had wholesome origins with like that just delightful sure. British lady. But again, it's one of those things where it's like you can get clout by leaning into this <laughs> It's Let very, me tell you it's what a, a jacket. Strange trend. Let me for tell you what a jacket potato is for for folks who don't know. It is a regular schmegular potato. It's not a special one. It's not a Yukon Gold. It's not a sweet potato. It's a regular schmegular baking potato. You get them for like maybe fifteen twenty three cents. You then put that in the microwave. They're not even advocating like a roast or anything. And then you smash it open. You put butter on it, cheese, and beans from a can. That is delicious. I love everything about that. You've got everything going that you need to get going. But when you try to sell it to me as um, some sort of like 
high-end thing where we're trying to say, oh, it's okay because people are eating jacket potatoes. They're happy. They're affording food. Mm -hmm. No, ma'am, we cannot be complicit in the idea that because people are being creative in their struggle meals and they are delicious meals and we've even achieved a level of protein in them, that it's okay to not be paying people a fair wage so that they could afford fresh fruits, vegetables, and fresh meats. It, it, I'm not going for it. I'm not going for the the commodification of struggle totally. meals. Yeah, I know like I'm a next... person who lives on macaroni and cheese and hot dogs still to this day because, you know, you like what you like. Well, I mean, this has probably happened with with lots of food over the years is like suddenly they become mainstream and popularized for, for and the the motivation for that is genuine and good. But it's like you can imagine like I feel like the 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 late stage capitalism version of this a step further is like, you know, we were talking about this yesterday on TikTok. I will occasionally come on videos on my For You page and they show you how to sort of make the most the most food for the most people that has the most nutritional value shopping at Dollar General. And yeah. these are some of the most saved um, videos on the platform because so many people find them useful and need mm -hmm. them. And you can just sort of imagine a perversion of that where it's like, we sent like this bougie ass chef to make, you know, blah, 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 blah. And suddenly they find some ingredient that you can actually only find at Dollar General. And then the people that need it can't even find it. And again, this sounds sort of like, womp, womp, but we've seen this happen before. And this is how it starts. It's the quinoa effect. Americans wanted quinoa. That was a cheap grain. And now the Bulgarians are starving on account of it. I mean, there, it happens all the time. And, and the thing that I just want to warn people to as a person who came from the food world and food policy world is some of these foods will get better for people who can afford them and the the cheap foods get cheaper. So even if you look at like the hot dog market, right, we ended up getting these like uncured, beautiful Nyman Ranch, fearless hot dogs that are like nine, ten dollars a pack. Mm -hmm. And they are delicious. And Nyman Ranch, incredible company, puts out a great product. But we at the same time see more and more fillers and things like, um, you know, the off brand or store brand hot dogs. So when something gets popular like this, it is always better for the rich and it always cheapens the product for the folks who really need it and really lean on it. So, yeah, I'm not here for Kellogg's CEO trying to trick me into eating cereal now uh, as a dinner replacement. So they're trying to get all three meals out of us. The only time well, – the, the specifically the ad says like – specifically the ad – I hate when people just describe things we can't see, but I think the <laughs> listeners need to know. The ads also includes a cartoon chicken and they're like, "Not you're not it tonight. Not it tonight. <laughs> I and can't. I will say to that, I answer, I answer, make, make, make crispy chicken with cereal. It's delicious. It is. Chicken and waffles, baby. We can have breakfast for dinner. I'm all for that, but I will Alrighty. not be tricked by Kellogg's. Should we get into some politics now? Let's get political, baby. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, 
Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. And now we'll get into our main news segment. Alrighty, so we wanted to start today, this section today, our main news segment, of course, with a few updates connected to the killing of Next Benedict, which we touched on last week. And I think we were some of the first. I think, V, you were really one of the first people really questioning um, the information that we were getting from authorities and from the media and from people that claim to be there versus what we were hearing from the family. And that's really broken out into the public view. So so what what are the updates? What do we know now based on your conversations and your reporting and co- sort of curation of, of everything that's been going on? Because it's a lot. So something that stood out to me early on was when the police said that the death was not related to trauma because so many people want that to be true. They want it to be true that this was just another weirdo kid that overdosed, right? And that's just not true. And I unfortunately have some frontline experience with the police and preliminary information about suspicious death. When my brother passed away, they weren't sure what happened. And they had told us he killed himself straight off. And I, so I had to live the death of a suicide of my sibling for nine weeks and then when the autopsy and everything came back, it turned out it that wasn't true. It turned out it wasn't true. He had other things go on. Um, so I am always suspicious of what mm-hmm. police say when they say preliminary evidence, because it is their job to try and close cases as fast as possible. And I'm not saying that all the police do this. I have great respect for law enforcement. And I think that the majority of police do an excellent job and got into the profession because they do care and they want to help people. But there is also a a good amount of people who got into this who are self-preservationists. We're talking about the police union presidents. We're talking about the guys who have to go out there and be the spokesperson and they don't have media training. And what they're trying to do is kind of like crowd control. And they did this crowd control moment, seeing all the national scrutiny coming in by saying preliminary evidence says that maybe the death is not connected to trauma. Turns out that was the police's opinion based on a partial, uh, notes from the medical examiner. The police have since come forward to say that the ME did not explicitly say that the death was not related to trauma. So then we get into what's the cause of death versus manner of death. And this is all stuff that, like, unfortunately, I had to learn that most mm-hmm. folks maybe didn't have to learn. And I hope you never do. And I'll do. say, I, I think most folks are going to read the first headline they saw and maybe not revisit the updates no, they're like you go do and it. like most people do and our listeners do. And they're just going to take for granted that's what happened. So what so what they're going with now is you have cause of death and manner of death. The manner of death, the police have never not said could be murder, could be homicide throughout all of this, even when they said uh, death may not be related to trauma, but murder charges are still on the table. People just cut out that second half of the statement. And so that's that's what we're fighting right now. And in my community, I cannot take care of all the trolls and all the people who want this to go away. I can only take care of the queer folks who are trying to get answers. So I have been just like blocking the hell out of people who are like, the kid overdosed mm-hmm. or the kid did this or that or the other because they're trying to make it go away. This is going to come back connected to 
what happened in that bathroom. I am absolutely certain of that. And the police themselves are certain that there's a connection as well. So when you see somebody out there say, well, the ME, the medical examiner said that this was not related to trauma, the medical examiner never said such a thing. And the police have now walked back their statement. So you can find that information and popular information did a great interview with Nick Boatman, the lieutenant who is, uh, you know, speaking out and he's the publicist, I guess, or the press person. Yeah. Marissa Cave has tried to do one on her newsletter, but he hung up on her. I know. Yeah. Judd Jud will get in there. Judd will get yeah. in there. Yeah. He's but amazing. all that to say, so that's one thing that happened here. Um, in addition, there's this conversation around how did Republican legislation lead to the death? And I had a lot of folks who were mad at me for saying that far right Republican rhetoric contributed to the beating death of this child. It did. Just that week, Republicans had put in a bathroom ban that said that children needed to use the bathroom that corresponded to their gender assigned at birth. Next identified as non-binary and, as we've now come to find out, preferred he, him pronouns. I don't know what restroom Next was using before they experienced this, you know, beating with these girls in the bathroom. But this bathroom bill directly put Next in a room that they might not have ever even been in. And that they maybe hadn't been in before. We don't know. We have to, you know, there's more emerging information. This bathroom bill was the hottest topic at the school because this school, as we found out when we saw the video footage yesterday of all the kids who walked out for next to protest bullying, actually has quite a few queer children and non-binary identifying children in the school, even though it's Oklahoma. This town is split between support and not support. The school is split wow. between teachers who genuinely care about these queer kids and are trying to create safe spaces from them and Republican legislators who are out of touch with what kids need right now. We don't know if next would have been in that bathroom in the first place had this legislation not happened. And we definitely know that it was the talk of the school and kids were getting bullied for it because kids are shitty and they're going to be like, ha ha, guess you got to use the girl's room, girl. You know what I mean? And yeah, so that's, absolutely. you know... I, I got to talk to Vice President Harris, say what you will about her if you like her or if you don't. In this particular um, moment, I am grateful for her and for her advocacy and for the Biden administration who, since the jump, one of Biden's first speeches when he got into office was, and to all the trans kids listening, I want you to know your president has your back. And he has had their back throughout this as much as he possibly can. Absolutely. So, I got to fly out, meet with Vice President Harris to talk about the death of Next Benedict, speak that child's name to the highest levels of power. And I think you'll be very impressed with what she said back. And, and has, she has some ideas about how we fight some of this legislation that is causing so much harm for people. And, and like you said, I mean, a, a lot of this, you know, the incendiary rhetoric from the state leaders is impacting kids at this school. So you can just imagine restoring that incendiary rhetoric to the White House mm -hmm. um, is it would not create a safe environment. We have a another story related to transphobic violence. Unfortunately, this one has this one has sort of a positive element in one sense. You'll see in a minute. A federal jury found a South Carolina man guilty last week of killing a black transgender woman. This marked the first conviction at a federal trial for a hate crime motivated by gender identity. The first time, which was surprising to me to read, but it's actually connected to the 2009 Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act that created a federal law criminalizing violence against people due to their religion, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, or disability. So this law has been applied before to gender identity, but this was the first time it reached trial. The convicted killer shot 24-year-old Dime Doe in the head three times in 2019, and she died. Mm. 
-hmm. He did this after hearing rumors had spread about him having a sexual relationship with her, and he now faces life in prison. So Mm -hmm. a, you know, nearly 15-year-old law, first time it's been applied in this way, super meaningful. It's incredible. So in 2013, which is like over a decade ago, the Human Rights Campaign started tracking incidences of fatal trans violence. It it was the first time that they specifically took trans folks out of the like gay, you know, <laughs> the LGBTQ and separated it out to say what's happening with trans violence in particular. 2013 is also the same year that the FBI began reporting on hate crimes motivated by anti-trans bias. And this is the first federal conviction. So you can see sometimes when we feel like nobody's looking out for us, you just see that this has been working in the background and now there's a precedent. This is all part of this thing called gay panic. Now, for folks who may not have ever heard of the term gay panic, in 1920, this psychologist, Edward Kempf, who is deeply problematic, coined the term gay panic. And it was listed as like a mental health condition for a while. And it literally said that uh, gay panic causes people to kill or hurt gay and trans folks because they literally panic about being approached by or interacting with a gay or trans person. So it's literally a mental condition, or it was, that these psychologists said interacting with gay or trans people could make you kill. It could make you so crazy that you would kill them. But in 2014, under the guidance of Kamala Harris, California became the first state to ban the gay panic defense. And at the federal level, since 2018, Democrats like Ed Markey have tried to introduce legislation that would ban the gay panic defense or trans panic defense at a national level. It's never gotten through this case is going to be paramount to setting precedents. So while we won't have a federal law necessarily, we do have this case to point to as precedents the next time, unfortunately, a trans person is killed. That's huge. And, you know, I think you make a good point because a lot of times we're looking for these big splashy moments that are indicative of of progress, but sometimes it's a law that's passed and then for technical reasons takes a while to implement. People get held accountable in other ways. And it is important when you feel sort of bummed out and like you're working tirelessly and you're not seeing much change. You know, this this law must have passed when 2009, that must have been the, the Senate with 60 Dems, right? It was. And you think about 2009, gay marriage equality wasn't yeah. even signed into law yet. There wasn't a ton. Prop 8 had just passed, right, which which banned gay marriage in California. So over the last like 15 years, we have set, seen incredible progress for queer people. We need to remember that so that we don't get so down on ourselves to think that nothing's ever happening and it's just getting worse. It is, in fact, getting better. There is still a ton of trouble in this, in this community and, and dehumanization. I mean, Going back to Next Benedict for a quick second, the state senator was asked, what do you think about the death of Next Benedict? And the state senator from Oklahoma said, we don't want this filth in our community. We're a Christian state. And then doubled down when they were like, are you say, are you calling this child that was How would that killed? make you feel, V, if you were a young filth? person in Oklahoma and you weren't out yet and you heard a, a leader, a person who had been endorsed and elevated say that? It's not just them. It's how your parents react to it. You're sitting in the room watching television with them and they see that. And do your parents go, yeah, you know what? This is an attack on Christians. And what does that do to your little soul where you're like, wait a minute, but I'm your child. I remember watching Ellen come out back in the day with my parents and the reaction they had was, wow, how brave of her. That mattered to me. You know what I mean? And my parents weren't, they didn't really know a whole ton about gay at the time, but they reacted with kindness. They saw her courage in this moment. They even said, wow, she's probably going to get killed in the press. But I had, it's not what the 
legislator says. It's what your community says. And so that's why we keep telling kids out there, we love you. We see you. We're fighting for you. Don't give up. All right. Now let's pivot to some national politics. Obviously, (laughs) over the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Always just laughable. Over the weekend, we had the GOP primary in South Carolina. For some reason, Democrats and Republicans, they, they split this one up. I mean, they split everything up, but this one was the Democratic one was a couple weeks ago. Every time Nikki Haley talks lately, you can just hear the desperation. You can practically hear the last gasping breath of her campaign. I don't know if she knows that. Trump beat her in South Carolina by 20 points. That's a huge triumph. It's especially notable because that is her home state. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't just another humiliating loss, though. Haley's backers have taken notice. The Koch brothers, their political donation group, stated that it had taken stock of the landscape Haley. Basically, they said, we don't see how we can, you know, widen her path, how all of our how all of our money can even help her. So they're going to shift their efforts to Senate and House races. Looking ahead, Michigan is going to hold primaries this weekend and Super Tuesday is next week. So the primaries are like, I don't know if they're like heating up or winding down. In a normal year, they'd be heating up. But now we're just now we're just like in, she's in her flop era. She's in her fluff era. She's in her Delulu era. Nikki Haley, <laughs> girl, she had it. She had everything that she needed, but she just she couldn't get over a lot of the just delusions she has about the way that the world works. Taco, can you can you expand on that a little bit more? Like, do you think that she should have run a different type of campaign? Yes, I th- yeah. I think that she had every opportunity to capture moderate and centrist and the and the female women's votes if she would have stayed away from things like continuing to attack the gay community, right? Or IVF. This woman used IVF to have her two miracle children that every time she talks about them, she gets choked up. And I believe that she is grateful to be a mother. But now that she's out of her birthing years, says things like, well, embryos are babies to me. You sound nuts. You What's gross to me nuts. too is that she got an IUI, which is usually a step you take before IVF. And it's just like, it was almost like, no, if just one step further is not okay. What I did is okay. What I did is okay. But but my uterus took it. But if it didn't, then you wouldn't be allowed. Like, it's just gross. Like, bitch, you know, you know that was your next step had that not worked. Where are the embryos? Nikki, where are the embryos? <laughs> right. Mike Pence, did you hold a funeral in the state of Indianapolis that requires funerals for miscarriages? No, she's shipping them to a blue state. I, I'm like, what happened to the embryos that you didn't use Michael Pence and Nikki Haley and a number Are of other Are you calling them murderers? I am. <laughs> I'm not. You know why? Because they're not babies. We don't believe that. That's ridiculous. I, look, I had to go to Catholic school growing up and all that. And I specifically remember the Bible saying that life begins at first breath when God breathes into Adam's nostrils or something really graphic. You know what I mean? I remember thinking about that for days. It's pretty gay. I was like, God, into the nostrils. Why wouldn't he give him a mouth breath? Isn't that how CPR works? I I had a lot of thoughts as a child. Anyway, Nikki Haley (laughs) falling apart right now, which I honestly think is too bad in some ways um, because there was a hope, right, that she could potentially stop the Trump train. Um, and I don't know if that would have been better for Democrats or not. I, I think Joe Biden's going to beat Trump. Um, I think if Nikki Haley was the candidate, there was a little bit more discussion on the Democratic side about what do we do? Mm-hmm. Will they see her okay. as a younger candidate? Will they see her as more powerful? Can he debate her? Like, what's the vibe? What I'm actually most concerned about in this situation is something you said about the Koch brothers potentially are taking stock of her losses and pulling their money from the Nikki Haley campaign and putting it into the down ballot races. Because Trump is saying that he's going to take the money from the Republican National Convention, which typically funds the down ballot races, to pay his legal fees. And I thought maybe we were going to 
have a little bit of a benefit here where if all of the RNC fundraising was going to paying Trump's legal fees, well, then they can't support candidates for Congress or Senate's races. But right. now if the Kochs are going to be like kind of fill, backfilling that, I'm, I'm back worried again. Yeah. And the Senate map, um, if you're supporting Democrats, is quite scary. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot. It's not a joke. It's not a joke election right now. And especially on TikTok, I've been very supportive of the idea of primarying Joe Biden for the fact that this is your time to make your voice heard. If you're not happy with Joe Biden, show up in Michigan and write not committed. You know what I mean? This is your time to protest after Super Tuesday. Once we are getting closer to the election, once November comes around, it's not a joke anymore. You are making a decision Mm -hmm. um, to decide for real Z what you're going to do. And if you're going to be a single issue voter, be a single issue voter on the thing that you want to see happen. Don't make yourself a single issue voter because you're like, well, I might as well give up. There's always a reason to try. It's very easy to just say, well, I'm going to sit this one out. Don't sit this one out. This one really does make a difference. Yeah. And what V was referring to before we move on was that in the primary in the primary in Michigan this weekend, there is a campaign to write uncommitted. Um, as a write-in, as an alternative to, to to Joe Biden and any other candidates that might come up there, to sort of obviously Joe Biden will will likely win, but to signal to him like this is serious. Um, specifically on Gaza, there's a a large Arab American population in Michigan, and so I, I know I'm going to be really curious to see you know how big that number is, and I think the size of that number will I think it will influence the administration and the campaigns kind of the way that they speak and address certain issues. I think they're going to be looking closely, and if it's tiny, they're going to be like whatever, we don't need to worry about it, and if it's bigger than they thought, they should really you know consider what that means. I totally agree. And we know that's true because they've been looking at the primary numbers and they're saying, hey, for all these people who are talking about, you know, wanting to primary Joe Biden, only 2000 of you showed up to vote right? uh, to his hundreds of thousands of votes. So now's your chance to to make your voice heard uh, if you dissent. Exactly. Exactly. So Haley Dropout Watch has, of course, commenced alongside increased anticipation for Trump's potential VP pick. My heart just started racing. So people <laughs> under consideration reportedly include a lot of girlies, a lot of girlies, Christy Nome, Kari Lake, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and Elise Stefanik. Also on that list is Tim Scott, J.D. Vance. We'll go through these individually in a moment. The potential choices are definitely doing some public auditioning and flexing their bona fides, giving really unhinged interviews, refusing to distance themselves from Trump at all because, you know, why would they? But privately, they're reportedly seeking meetings with Mike Pence to get his guidance on how to position themselves favorably for the job that almost almost got Mike Pence killed. So some of these guys are apparently asking him, you know, hey, can you meet with me about the vetting process, how to set myself up for success? People actually want this job. I The worst job listing in America. I can't imagine going for this and expecting to have like longevity in your political career and also going to Mike Pence. Like, I can't imagine his smugness right now being like, oh, everybody wants me. This is like the one time he's wanted. Totally. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering what the questions are. Are they like, hey, Mike, how did you get in? Or is it like, hey, Mike, how many death threats will I get a day? Like, how mm-hmm. did you mitigate the troubles that you put yourself into by being aligned? Uh, how often did you actually have to interact with him? But yeah, we've got we've got quite a few up here. The only one for me that I think I I could see it being Christine Nome because Trump pretends like the world is a t- television show yeah. and she's the most castable. Uh, mm-hmm. But she you is know. a beautiful little bigot. <laughs> she is. <laughs> We're gonna put that on the merch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she is. But you know, JD Vance, a former Marine, but doesn't support Ukraine. I think that's mm-hmm. gonna be a tricky one for a lot of people. 
Carrie Lake, she draws too much attention away from Trump, and I don't think he's going to like that. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and I mean this in the kindest way possible, is not a fit the way that he said Marjorie Taylor Greene is not a fit, and he means is not hot enough. He's not going to mm. spend uh, – again, it's a casting That's decision. so real. That is so real. And it's sick to even say such a thing. Um, and Elise Stefanik, we used to work together on Romney stuff, and she used to be like much more normal than she is now. I am – so concerned for her, like as a person, I, I don't know. I, she wants this pretty bad. I hear I that think a lot. Stefana could get it. I hear she that a lot be, from people that have worked with her in the past. She's incredibly in talented. She's outrageously talented. She's so smart. She's a political scholar. And I, but, but then like something, it hurt, she snapped her carrot to quote mm-hmm. my mother. She snapped her carrot somewhere and I'm not sure why or, and I wouldn't necessarily want her a heartbeat away from the presidency. I think if anything, she's going to get a job in the cabinet. This is never going to happen because he's not going to be president. We're not going to speak that. Into yeah, the I would love her in the cabinet away from having a vote in the house. Away from having a vote. But then we got to talk about Tim Scott. Mm-hmm. Timmy. We must. How? He loves Trump. How do you stand it when he says Tim Scott wasn't so good at talking about himself, but he's great at talking about Trump? And he's just smiling there. And the person I actually feel the worst for is Mindy, the poor fembot uh, that he has like enlisted to be his wife. I hope she's getting compensated. All right. Well, let's talk about Mindy because Mindy gets a check. And I love this. Mindy gets a check. Mindy gets paid. Let me tell you a little something about Miss Mindy. Mindy was married to a tech bro who was the best friend of Peter Thiel. And uh, they were together for a long time. They had a bunch of companies that they got in trouble for creating shell companies, not paying their taxes. This put a strain on their marriage. He started drinking, according to her, taking opioids, according to her. Um, And so she filed for divorce because they were getting sued for millions of dollars. And she said he was like not doing so great, this ex-husband. She got a one-time settlement of over $2 million from him in cash. At the uh, They got divorced in 2018. And she gets $9,500 a month in spousal support from him. So, like, girl gets a check. I would love to know. I would love to know what is the setup here. Is there some sort of tie to Peter Thiel and the right and Mm. Trump? And, like, is that what's going on? And so they're giving Tim Scott this kind of, like, person who's, like, an insider with them. I don't know. There's a lot of I love how no option on the list for consideration is they're genuinely in love. No. (laughs) No, that's not on the table. (laughs) No, um, I would love to interview Mindy just like, you know, I don't know, go to brunch and get drunk and find out what she's getting paid. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she has loose lips. I mean, my concern for these poor ladies seeking out Mike Pence is that if they're at a disadvantage because they can't have a private meeting, they can't do it. So what are they going to do? I think Tim Scott has an edge or he's going to have to meet with all of them together. <laughs> you took my breath away. <laughs> right? Like he's going to be like, uh, right. no, Mike uh, Pence- I guess I can't. Mike Pence won't meet with women unless no. his wife is in the room, unless mother is there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God! So how are so they it's got to be Christy and her team. male strategist, which I is like, so. oh, that is so beautiful. I would love to like watch this in a like in like a Netflix drama where it's like an aspiring B candidate realizes like in order to get the intel she needs to be to lead the party that is absolutely atrocious, she <laughs> this man refuses to meet with her. It's exactly what they deserve, and it's just chef's kiss. <sighs> God. All right. Another interesting 2024 story we wanted to briefly discuss. Katie Porter is running for Senate. A whole lot of them are running for Senate. I was in um I was working remotely from California a couple weeks ago, and I swear to God, by the end, I had Adam Schiff's 
I had Adam Schiff's ad memorized. I, I like sure. Adam Schiff, but she's been paying tens and tens of millions of dollars for the same ad over and over and over again. This is a very competitive race. Katie Porter is, this seems to be kind of like a last ditch effort to make money. And it seems, um, it seems like an oxymoron to like sell your fundraising list to continue fundraising. How does that work, V? Because she's doing this. Why is she doing this? So the trouble in California is uh, the Democratic emperor's finger on the scales of things. Mm -hmm. So Nancy Pelosi's protege is Adam Schiff, and he has been for many years and she has supported him both, you know, just directly outwardly is, has helped him fundraise. He's out fundraising every other candidate. Um, that puts the DNC in a corner. I didn't realize kind of... that, that he's been anointed by Nancy. Oh, yes. And that's, yes, yes, yes. Accounts yes. for his lead. He's at 24 yes. percent and Katie Porter's at 19. What should we call him? The Viscount of California? No, <laughs> I'm not, you know, because Democratic Empress Viscount. I don't know. Anyway, um, what so what I feel for Katie Porter here is she does have to raise enough money again to combat like the name recognition that Adam Schiff will have at the end of this. Um, but she's selling her fundraising list, which one, I think is such an unusual thing to come out and say that you're doing because like, wouldn't the people on that list be kind of annoyed by that? And it also speaks to kind of the desperation she's in up against the establishment Democrats who aren't giving her a chance at Senate. Um, it's unusual. It's unusual, but uh, that's showbiz, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, now to our next segment, Amer, I can't. touched on this earlier in the show, and we obviously discussed it last week, but I have seen this um, really animating people, so we wanted to address it again, of course. The Alabama State Supreme Court's ruling that frozen embryos are children and the implications for IVF have really brought increased attention to state-level laws you know, across the country, and we'll get to one of those shortly. Since we've discussed this, I believe a number of Alabama fertility clinics, not all of them, I want to know, but a number of them have said, we're not doing new IVF treatments. Like, you can't, if, if you were planning next week to take, I just imagine- Imagine trying and you're like, you've been really thinking with your partner or yourself and you're like, I'm ready for that step and being ready to take it and the clinic being like, we just can't because we don't know we'll be charged with murder because we discard of these embryos. Um, and 
People are furious. This is not a partisan issue. A lot of people rely on IVF. I've heard from so many women. The stories I've heard, I mean, we posted one. A woman wanted to be a mother and give birth to her own children so badly, and she was born without a uterus. So she got a uterus transplant, and the idea is that that's temporary. Like she's taking, it's not, a uterus is not, you know, like your liver. Like I don't think you need it to, to live necessarily. So, But she, her body's like, she has to take all the meds to make sure her body doesn't reject it. She's on an incredibly tight timeline. These medications are no joke. And it's like, that's who the state's villain is? That's who you're targeting? What have what have you heard from, from folks in your community about like this? Because IVF, it affects women, it affects older people, and it affects the LGBTQ community in addition to other communities that rely on it disproportionately. One, let's take note of the gender-affirming care that that woman has received getting a uterus implant and how incredible that is and why it is important to champion gender-affirming care because it doesn't just affect the queer community, it affects all of us. Um, And it's so important. And what an incredible medical science miracle that such a thing can happen. I'm so happy for her. Like, that's outstanding. Um, Yeah, so I couldn't couldn't understand why people would be against IVF because I'm like, so many you know, Mike Pence and Christians and whatnot use this this science to have children and what a wonderful thing. There's something like 500,000 IVF births a year. Outstanding. Um, and then somebody was telling me, well, because you're not, you're not deep into the truth social of it all. Apparently, there is some conspiracy out there that if IVF it becomes commonplace enough, it will replace men. We will be able to replace men uh, because we will be able to have children as single women, as older women, as queer people. And if we're not having them, we will use the gay money that we have because all the gays are very rich. (laughs) I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we're all swimming in it with opportunity. It's It's amazing. Um, We will use all the gay riches uh, to enslave women in surrogacy camps that we will then uh, make designer babies and force them to carry. And I'm like, that is projection. That is not something the gays would ever do, but so that is something like, this that you all dreamed thing up. is resonating. Let's find a way. Let's let's appropriate their handmaids. They, they try to say like narrative. these innocent people who want to have children are the ones that are yeah. going to do it. And I'm like, you're the one who had that dream. You're the one who dreamed this up. I never even thought of such a thing in my life. But that is the thing with IVF. And it, it, it doesn't just have to do with, it just, again, it comes down to it was never about abortion. It was always about controlling birth, who gets to give birth, who doesn't get to give birth, and who has uh, ultimate jurisdiction over that. So we have Dobbs being overturned, which reduces uh, you know, the privacy laws and whatnot. So now they're saying you have to have a baby if we say you have to have it, and you can't have a baby if we say you can't have it, and it's all in the name of God. It, it's a sickness, and it's it's disturbing, but if it's doing one thing, I'm very hopeful that it is bringing people together who might not have otherwise found common ground to recognize that authoritarian patriarchal government is based in cruelty and nonsense. And that is something that we all have to fight. Men, I got a lot of bro friends, a lot of guy friends, a lot of guy friends in the military even, who are like, I'm supposed to be man of the house. I'm supposed to be the family maker. I don't feel like I could protect my wife from this legislation. And I'm like, right. Because the Dobbs decision didn't just affect women. Mm -hmm. It affected everyone. Anyone who loves or speaks to women, it affected. We also wanted to discuss another state-level law that's been getting some attention as people are sort of like freaked the fuck out about how, (laughs) how our leaders can infringe on our reproductive freedom. So Missouri has a law 
barring judges, from finalizing a divorce if one of the partners is pregnant. So a pregnant woman can still file for divorce in Missouri, but the court has to wait until after the woman gives birth in order to finalize child custody and child support. Apparently, even the people who reject this law that work in Missouri and that are in the legislature have said, you know, we can see how maybe the intent in part of this was to ensure that a child would be taken care of regardless of the marital status of the kids. In practice, it is it is ensuring that women in domestic violence situations who are pregnant can't get out. You can you can imagine a scenario where you have an abusive husband you and he knows his wife wants to leave. He might be raping her and he forces her to get pregnant so that, you know, he gets another at least nine months and then she's more financially dependent. A lot of manifestations, regardless of any suggestion there could be a good one, are really negative and really just mean that like women are not free. It's insane. And, uh, you know, this is this this is important if you don't know a soul in Missouri. But I for some to bring this into the Betches universe, who do we know in Missouri? The, we know lots of people among them. Gypsy Rose Blanchard. People have both speculated that she is pregnant and that her husband is a weird dude. I am speculating that her husband is a weird dude. If both are true, the state that she lives in, I believe she's still living in Missouri, would not let her divorce him until after she gives birth. Correct. Justice for Gypsy yet again. I'm I'm just saying this this woman has never had bodily autonomy from the never. time she was born. She was medically abused. Then she was incarcerated. Now she's potentially pregnant and still doesn't have the right one. Miss Rose Blanchard does not have the right to uh, abortion care if she needs it in Missouri. Truly, she does not have the right to divorce her husband if she needed to. Um, and I'm wondering if this very likable figure in the public discourse of things and the TikTokification of the world will help bring some um, some notice to the laws that are happening in Missouri that that are impacting people potentially negatively. Can you imagine this high profile figure who has never had bodily autonomy having a complication in this pregnancy and not being able to access reproductive health care? brings us into our down ballot era segment. We share a local or state legislator who is really doing the work to make lives better for our communities. And that person is not at the top of the ticket because we have heard you that there is some, uh, there's not a ton of excitement at the top of the ticket right now among everyone. And that's not a good enough reason not to vote because there are people down ballot who can really make life so much easier for you and your neighbors. One of them is Missouri's representative, Ashley Ani. She represents Missouri's 14th district. And she's one of the legislators who's fighting against that law to get it changed. She introduced a bill this legislative session that essentially says pregnancy obviously should not and cannot prevent a judge from finalizing a divorce. She says, I just want moms in difficult situations to get out if they need to. If you recognize uh, Representative Ani's name, that's because she went super viral when she made a really powerful statement against Missouri's dress code. So this is a down ballot girly that I'm going to I'm going to have my eye on. I expect to see her. It's one of those things where it's like. I, I want this woman in U.S. Congress, but I also stand what she's doing in Missouri. She is up for re-election this year. Visit AshleyForMissouri.com for more information on how to ensure she stays in the state house and brings other pro-reproductive rights folks along with her. As V says, like we're going to be keeping our eye on, you know, Republicans who support this. They need to mm -hmm. be 
you know, rewarded for that. And and as a, as a constituent, be told, yes, this is a value to me. Thank you for listening. So if you live in that state, definitely look on where your Republican um, legislators stand on this. But our down ballot girly today is Ashley Ani of Missouri. So visit AshleyForMissouri.com and 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 shoot her some shoot her some. If you can if you can spare some extra little treat money, uh, Missouri women will appreciate it. They will. So reproductive rights features very prominently in our first interview on American Fever Dream, which V referenced earlier. Do you want to share a little bit more of, you know, set the stage a little bit more for for what folks are about to hear from the VP? Yep. So when I got the call that I would be able to get eight minutes with the vice president if I flew to Grand Rapids, Michigan, I knew that in eight minutes I could get two questions in. One was going to be about the killing of Next Benedict, and the other was going to be about what is going on with the Alabama laws and how will the Biden administration protect women who are seeking IVF? In particular, how will they deal with the thing they have the most control over, which is the military? Military is under federal regulations. All of their healthcare is federalized. So what if uh, you know, one of my guys, PCS, is out to Alabama and his wife wants to have a baby and they're trying to get IVF and they can't. What are you going to do? This is going to hurt military readiness. This is going to hurt enlistment. Um, and she had some great feedback. So we're going to get into talking about it. The first question is about IVF. The second is about Next Benedict. Then we get into, you know, her thoughts on Beyonce. But um, really great. And grateful. the chicken, of course. And the chicken, of course. Really grateful to the vice president for taking the time while she was on the road as part of her reproductive health tour to give us a private interview and to be so vulnerable in her answers. Um, there is a lot of times that she will get criticized for not being personable. And I'm going to tell you in person, I wish that every American could have the in-person experience that I do. She's incredible in person. And I think we learned a ton and I'm excited to hear from you guys what you think about the interview and her solutions for how the federal government can protect access to IVF, can protect people from the gay panic defense and can make better roast chicken. And here's that interview with Vice President Kamala Harris. Vice President Harris, so much of the conversation about reproductive health since the Dobbs decision has centered around abortion. What are your thoughts on the consequences facing young people who want to be parents and build families? Yeah. For example, my friends in the military are concerned about where they'll PCS to and if they will have access to reproductive health care like IVF. Yeah. So first of all, like I said, off Mike, um, your voice is so important, and your courage is something that is very inspiring. Um, there are far too many people that we know about, that we care about, um, who are afraid right now and feel alone. And using your voice in this way really does build community, and that's something that we really need and that leaders do. So thank you. It's good to be with you. So. Let's talk about members of our military. Uh, first of all, they are the people who do God's work of stepping up to say that they are willing to sacrifice everything to defend our country, to support and defend our Constitution and all that it stands for. Um, and they do that work with honor and it, with nobility in terms of the sincerity of their love for our country. And the reality is that most of them get um, assigned to where they will live. It is not their choice. They're deployed throughout the country and, of course, around the world. And sadly, after the Dobbs decision came down, we have seen states across our country passing laws that will take away an individual's ability to make decisions about their own body and to make decisions about how they want to plan the f their future and the future of a family. Mm -hmm. 
And so when our service members are then sent to states that have an abortion ban, um, including states that have criminalized healthcare providers such that they would allow doctors and nurses to go to prison for life mm -hmm. for administering reproductive care, we have to recognize that the service members should not have to pay a price for serving their country by going to a state where they don't have reproductive rights and freedoms. So we have rightly said through the Department of Defense that the Department of Defense will facilitate their travel to a state where they can receive the care that they want and need, um, that they will not be in any way penalized for their absence from the state where they live to go to another state to receive care. And I think that's critically important. On the IVF issue, it, I mean, it's, it's outrageous. It's a heartbreak. It's a heartbreak. Mm -hmm. You know, the number of people who are now being penalized for this policy that is taking the freedom and the right of, of everyone to make decisions about the future of their family, and in this case, the their, their ability to plan a future where they have children. Mm -hmm. to, to take this freedom that is so fundamental in 2024? And, you know, for those of us who understand the issue, I mean, you're, you're, you're literally destroying people's dreams. Right. Talk about a soul, just a, a, something that just damages and hurts the soul. The idea that couples or individuals who want to start a family are now living in states where they don't even have the, the option because there's no service to help them with fertility. So this is the spectrum in which it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. Taking away the right of an individual who does not want to continue a pregnancy, mm -hmm. does not want to be pregnant, to an individual who wants to become pregnant mm -hmm. and needs assistance. Mm -hmm. This is how outrageous it is. And let's not forget that when that decision that took these rights came down, the Dobbs decision, Clarence Thomas said the quiet part out loud, which is everything could be at stake. We could be looking at access to contraception. We could be looking at hard-won and fought freedoms for LGBTQ plus people. Mm -hmm. All of that could be at stake. So I say to everyone, when we think about this upcoming election, let's be clear. First of all, Donald Trump was clear that he was going to pick three members of the United States Supreme Court that would do just this, and they did it. Mm -hmm. And he talks about being proud of the fact that this has happened, proud of the fact that doctors and nurses could go to jail for giving reproductive care, proud of the fact that there are people who are, who are not allowed to make a decision about their body after they have survived rape or incest. Mm -hmm. Proud of the fact that you know there are people, women who are giving having miscarriages in toilets. Mm -hmm. um, so, look, elections matter. Joe Biden has been very clear. When we're reelected, when Congress puts the protections of Roe v. Wade back in place, he will sign it. He has also been clear. If anyone tries to push a national abortion ban. 
he will veto it. So we need to win re-election because the alternative is extremely scary on this and so many other issues. Something President Biden said the last time that y'all were running the yeah. election, he came on television and he said to any trans kids that are listening, your president has your back. And right. to, the day, to this day, it gives me chills because as a, as a young non-binary queer yeah. person myself, I had never seen the president of the United States take such a strong stand and mm -hmm. it really meant the whole world to me. Mm -hmm. LGBTQIA youth now are very scared, especially yeah. following the death of non-binary teenager Next Benedict. How do we ensure kids have the freedom to thrive you've talked so much about at a time when Republican-led legislation is making them feel very oppressed? Well, I'm going to reiterate that you, whoever's listening to this, you are not alone. We stand with you. We love you. And we're going to fight against this hate, this, this, I think, conscious attempt by many to make people feel small and alone, which then gives license to bullies mm -hmm. to do what bullies do. You know, I feel very strongly the sign of real leadership, the sign of real strength of a leader is not based on who you beat down. It's based on who you lift up. The sign of the, I think, the strength of character of a leader is someone who has compassion, who has some level of care and concern about the well-being of other people, and then does and takes it upon themselves to do the work that is about uplifting the condition of people, not pushing them down. So my message to anyone who is listening is you are not alone. And we all stand together. And there we are. We stand together. And I do believe you when you say that. Oh. Y'all have really stood and, and proved that. Well, you know, in my background, I mean, when I was DA of San Francisco many, many years ago, um, there was a case, Gwen Arahu in San Francisco. I don't know if you know about that case. And then, of course, there was the Matthew Shepard case. Mm -hmm. And there was a thing that was happening in courtrooms where... Um, the defendant who committed a crime against a person, they were calling it the gay panic defense. Right. And they were saying, well, I panicked. I didn't realize, you know, the gender of this person, blah, 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 blah. And I actually hosted the first training ever for prosecutors around the nation. I brought them to San Francisco and hosted a training and, and created a curriculum that was around defeating that so-called gay panic defense. So I go way back on this issue, but we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. What's something about your job that you love to talk about, but that nobody ever asks you about? Oh, I, well, I love traveling. I mean, I'm here in Grand Rapids. I, I, love, I love being with people and um, I love going to small businesses. Mm -hmm. I, have to I love small businesses. You know, people who run small businesses, they're, they're innovative and they, they love people and they, they mentor and they're, you know, not only business leaders, they're civic leaders. And um, I, I just love being around people who care, you know, and, um, and who are creative and who have fun with it. Yeah. So 
that's some of the work that I love the most, really. Now, before I was a TikToker, I was a chef. I know. Okay. Now, I, and I, I have taken your advice yes. on the 24-hour refrigerator chicken for the crispy skin. You have? I have. Yes. I right? Isn't have. it? It's serious, it right? Makes, it's it a makes game changer. A, it's a game changer. It makes all the Good difference in the you. world. So what I was wondering uh-huh. is, do you think your iconic roast chicken recipe yeah. could beat Bobby Flay? Of course. Of course. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, Bobby. <laughs> That'll be next. One day we'll have a cook-off. Maybe for the retirement. We'll get, we'll get a food show. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and my last question for you is um, Beyonce's new country album. Yes. Yeehaw or hell nah? Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? First of all, she's so extraordinarily talented. And one of the things that I love about Beyonce is, you know, she really is a student of art and history. And so all of her work touches on her deep knowledge about history and culture and art, right? Everything from Renaissance to her, I mean, all of that she's done. And now most recently this, and she's number one on the country charts. She it's, is. It's incredible. Right, right. We've got it going in Air Force Two out there. I, I'm listening telling to some Beyonce. You, I just I listen to Beyonce <laughs> quite often. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for being with me. I have some parting stickers for you. The mantra of under the desk news. You are smart. Trust yourself. And of course, always make time for good news. And remember that there are so many people out there that are rooting for you, even if you don't always get to see them. Oh, this is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, Alvi. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That was incredible, V. And I think it does say a lot about about her and her team that they saw that they had an opportunity to be responsive to this and to talk about the issue with you, who's been on the front lines of this. And that really does say a lot about their commitment to it. I agree. I mean, when I was sitting there, you heard on the thing, I said, I believe you. And I meant that as as uh, as a challenge. I meant that as a challenge to the vice president and to the Biden administration you told me something, I will believe you, and I will be checking up on this. I will be on this and, and we'll stay stay on it. So if you have any thoughts on that, please always DM us on the Instagram or you can DM me at Under the Dust News. This is something that I think uh, we'll need to keep talking about. Definitely. That is our show for today. Until next week, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Vita Spear. And this has been American Fever Dream. American Fever Dream is hosted by Vitus Spear and Amanda Duberman. The show is produced by Rebecca Salzmacat, Sean Kilby, and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Schwartz. And be sure to follow at Betches News on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Betches.